Well, before I do anything else this morning, I, I just want to take this opportunity to welcome my mom that's come up from Sacramento to, to be with me this morning, and she's right down here, and I just ask that you would give her a warm welcome. And then I'd also like to thank the, the Bible faculty for giving me the opportunity to speak before you guys today. Um, the, title, the title of my message this morning, I, as I was searching through, I, I, I decided I'd call it the greatest lesson that God ever taught me. And the text that I'm going to be in this morning is in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. Because I'm long-winded most of the time and we're kind of short on time this morning, uh, I'm going to go right into asking you a few questions Excuse me, to, uh, to get you to reflect on, on the topic that I'm going to be discussing this morning. As you are turning there, you're probably realizing that I'm going to be talking about Paul's thorn in the flesh. And in order to get you to, to look at your own lives and, and apply that to your life, I'm gonna, I wanted to ask you a couple questions this morning. And the first one is to ask you, what are your weaknesses and the things in your life which cause you to, to be withdrawn or held back? What are those things that inhibit you from doing all that you think you could do or, or wish you could do? And in my life, I, I have many, and I, and I know that. And one of them is speaking in front of people. That's why it's such an incredible thing as I look back at my life to see how God is, has molded me and shaped me and given me opportunities. And, and first and foremost, I, I think this is probably the greatest opportunity I've ever had. But what is it in your life? Is it something physical? Is it a sickness, a handicap, a deformity, a disease? Is it something that's mental? Were you, do you have a, a mental um, learning disability? Or do you have a crippling psychological label put on you that, that denies you from hope? Or maybe as you were growing up, and I've experienced it, maybe you were abused whether it's verbal or physical, or maybe, maybe you were molested, or maybe, maybe you were raped. Whatever it might be, this morning, I just want to share with you how God has taught me that through my weaknesses and the things that, that have held me back, that I've held on to throughout all my life and, so many, and dealt with in so many different ways, that... I'm just grateful that, that God has given me the ability to stand before you today and, and to, to teach to you and attempt to teach to you the same lessons that He's taught me. The second question that, that I want to ask is, is, how have you dealt with it? Have you become a recluse? Have you hidden yourself in your closet? Have you become bitter and angry towards those who have hurt you? Have you hidden it and trying to be funny all the time? Or maybe you buried it deep down in your heart pretending it's never happened or it's not there. Maybe you've become angry at God. Maybe you think that God has turned His back on you. Or maybe, maybe you've masked it in, in pride and self-sufficiency, hoping that, that people won't really know the real you. Let me open in prayer this morning. Father, I thank You for this, this time that You've given me, God. I pray that You would... Use the lessons that you've taught me in my life and, and the, the, through your word and especially in, as Paul teaches us in the thorn in the flesh, 
in Corinthians. And Father, I just pray that you would give me the words, the wisdom, and to be able to share with my friends, my peers, the things that that have taken me from one who was crippled in his Christianity, lost and and without direction, to one that has seen how you've changed and how you've providentially used weaknesses in my life for your perfect purposes. And I, and I just pray that today that I would be able to share that effectively and that lives would be changed. And I pray that as I speak that, that people would be attentive to the things that, that you've taught me and the things that your word teaches us. And Father, I just commit to you this morning in, in Christ's name. Amen. Um, before I get into the text, I just want to briefly go through and discuss the background of 2 Corinthians. From Throughout the Corinthian correspondence, Paul was continually plagued by Judaizers and legalists who were continually uh, preaching a false gospel of legalism, a gospel of works. And throughout the correspondence, Paul... Um, was continually having to deal with factions and in opposition to his apostolic authority. And in 2 Corinthians 2, we see that, that Paul wrote a severe letter, something a letter that was specifically used to address the leader of this Judaizer group. And in it, he, he rebuked him for, for his pride, for his, his leading the opposition and putting down Paul's ministry and building himself up through a gospel of works. Um, at this time, Paul delivered this uh, message through Titus, and, and, and Paul went and left his three-and-a-half-year um, ministry in Ephesus to go to Troas, where he was to meet up with Titus to gain a report of how the, the response to this letter. When Paul didn't see Titus in, in Troas. He, he moved on to Macedonia where he did meet up with, with Paul, or with Titus. And Titus had brought back a, a message to Paul of encouragement because revival had broken out, a renewed acceptance to Paul's authority and his gospel of grace. And Paul, though Paul was greatly excited, we find that, that Paul was, had to remain behind in Macedonia to take care of some affairs, and that's why he wrote the letter of 2 Corinthians. Um, to, to give you a broad context, text of 2 Corinthians, in chapters 1 through 9, the faithful, he, Paul is addressing the faithful and repentant among the believers there in Corinth. And then in the section that we're going to be dealing with in chapters 10 through 13, Paul is addressing those who are still in opposition to his authority and the gospel of grace. To break down quickly the chapters 10 through 13, the first part of, of chapter 10 through verses 11, or chapter 11, verse 15, Paul, Paul starts with a re, giving an open rebuke. To the, to the Judaizers' pride, legalism, and false gospel that they're proclaiming. And then starting in, in verse 16 of chapter, chapter 11, Paul defends his apostleship in two ways. 
The first is starts in, in verse 22, and Paul gives the only complete list of all the things which he suffered for the sake of the gospel. And with that, it stands as an open rebuke to these, these who are proclaiming to be apostles and yet have never counted the cost. As it says, in, as Paul said to Timothy, for all those who desire to live godly shall suffer persecution. They had never, they've never encountered that. And it showed the, it showed the lack of their spirituality, the lack of, of their, truly their desire to minister and be servants of God. And then the second is, is found in chapter 12, verses 1 through 6, where Paul gives, gives us a, a description of, of a vision that he received early on in his ministry. And that, in both visions and revelations, were something that were only given to apostles or prophets and that type of thing. And that also stood as an open rebuke to them because they, they, it was impossible for them to have received any of these things. And uh, a vision is that which is, is seen, while a revelation is that which is, uh, is, is been, given by direct revelation of God. And in Galatians, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 12, or 11 and 12, Paul says, But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for neither I received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. And as you know the, Paul, the history of Paul's life, you, you understand that, that Paul was not there with Christ. His conversion came at, at Damascus. And as we go into the text, the, the one thing that I want to point out to you is that amongst his Paul's defenses, what he stresses mo- first and foremost is that he refuses to boast in the things which he has accomplished. If he's going to boast, he's going to boast in his weaknesses. And at the end of both of, of these lists and defenses, in 11.30 he says, If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. And then down in, in 12... In chapter 12, 5 and 6, he says, Of such a one I will boast, yet of, uh, of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. For, through, for though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I forbear, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. And, and with that, that leads us right into our text. That Paul is is using Second Corinthians seven through ten to give credence to the reason that he boasts in weaknesses rather than in the accomplishments which he which he has he has encountered throughout his ministry, and he's referring to a past experience. So let me just read to you Second Corinthians seven through ten or Second Second Corinthians twelve seven through ten. It says, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecu persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And with that, I want to point out that Paul understood the, the stumbling block of pride and self-sufficiency to the work of the ministry. And also to point out that among the apostles, there was probably none who had a greater impact on the early church than Paul. We all know that by the churches that he founded, the, the lives that, that were changed. But yet Paul still, in the midst of, of terrible attacks, still refused to boast in the accomplishments that he, that he, that he had carried out in his, in his work in ministry. That's not where his boast was. And the, and the reason why is that I believe Paul understood that, pri that pride was the most deadly and deceptive of all sins. We see in Isaiah 14, it was the sin that, that caused Lucifer to, Lucifer to be cast down. Then in Adam and Eve, we see that it was the root sin that caused them to be cast out of the garden. In Psalms 10, verse 4, it says, The wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. And then further in Psalm 29, 3, a man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit shall retain honor. One of the great Puritan preachers, Henry Smith, said this, When the devil cannot keep us from a good work, then he laboreth by all means to make us proud of it. Then another Puritan, Stephen Charnock, he said this, Men are more unwilling to part with their righteousness than with their sins. And as I think about that, I, I really have to admit that that's true in my life. I'm more willing to confess my sin than I am to, to lay aside my own self-righteousness. And a perfect example of this is found in, in Luke 18. When you, if you've heard the parable of the Pharisee who goes to prayer along with the, this tax collector friend, in verses 10 through 14, Jesus says, Two men went up to a temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be abased, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And Paul, I think, understood that not only did Paul travel with Luke quite a bit in, throughout his ministry, but Paul was a Pharisee. He knew what it was like to be bundled up in his pride and self-sufficiency and, and his works righteousness that he used to set him apart from others. But in this, you can see that God has, a, has an affinity for, for pride and self-sufficiency. He says, I mean, if you look at this Pharisee, all he's saying is, is God... Look at all the things that I've done. I thank you that I'm not a sinner like everybody else. 
Well, he was wrong. He is a sinner just like everybody else. And he probably didn't, he probably had no concept of, of what the gospel of grace really was. But then you look at this tax collector who, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes toward heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's what God wants from us. That's the attitude that he's, that he's, he's crying out to us and calling to us. Through every time that, that we deal with weakness and trials come and suffering, God is crying out for us to, to realize this fact. You know, we deserve nothing more than, than hell. But, but God is merciful. And that's what He wants us to cry out to Him as the God who is merciful, thanking Him for the things that He's, he's done in our life, whether good or bad. And this takes me to, to my second point today, which, is, which I've just labeled pain. And Paul understood, that, and so did God, that maximum effectiveness in ministry comes only when we are devoid of our own foolish pride. And therefore, Paul was given a thorn. It says in, in 2 Corinthians, back in, back in the text that we're in, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of, of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to, to buffet me. And This thorn in the flesh refers to a sharp stake that has been embedded in the flesh that brings pain, suffering, or weakness. A messenger of Satan could either be a physical or a spiritual messenger to inflict pain or suffering upon Paul. There's many assumptions as made to what these things are, but this morning I'm really not going to touch on that. What I, I want to point out is that I believe that, that the obscure identity of this thorn and this messenger serve to further... Um, emphasize Paul's purposes in writing. And that purpose is so that he will not be exalted above measure. It's, it's mentioned twice on both sides of the thorn in verse 7. And Paul understood that God sovereignly uses trials and weaknesses throughout the Bible to fulfill His providential purposes among His children. And there's five things that I briefly listed that God uses ways that God uses uh, pain, weakness, suffering, and just to briefly list those. One is to mold us into Christ's image. We see this in Romans eight twenty nine and, and also James one two through four. The second is to discipline His children in Hebrews twelve five through eleven and also Psalm one nineteen sixty seven through sixty eight. The third one is to bring glory to Himself. We see this in the the man that was born blind described in John 9, 1-3, and also throughout the entire book, book of Job. For, and then the fourth purpose, for the good of His sovereign plan. In Romans 8.28, we see this, and also in Genesis 50.20. But the point that, that God uses in, in, in this passage, the point that He's making in regard to, to pain and suffering, is that it's, it's an or in order to reduce pride. And though Paul was keenly aware of this fact, he still pleaded with the Lord that it might depart three times. In, in, verse, in, in verse 8, Paul says, Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. 
Paul understood God's sovereignty. He knew that if God had given him this thorn, then God could also take it away. Therefore, he pleaded with the Lord three times. And yet, in silence, three times he was denied. Do you think that maybe God didn't hear him? By no means. You see, God's will may not always be to take away our thorn or to change our conditions. God might not always answer our prayers according to our desires, but He will always answer our prayers according to what is best for us. And we can see that in Romans 8, verses 26-29. through 29. My friends, in prayer we shouldn't seek to put God's mind in line with ours, but our mind in line with God's purposes. And a key to, to praying to God in the midst of our weaknesses a key to the understanding of how we ought to pray is that we need to have a deep understanding of God's sovereignty in all of life's affairs. Nothing happens outside of God's plan, will, and purpose for us. And with that, that takes me to the fourth point this morning. And that's after Paul had pleaded the third time, God finally gave him an answer. He gave him the purpose for which that thorn was there. And that's the main emphasis that I want to point out to you this morning. That purpose I have called power. And it's, and it's listed in, in 12.9. And, and the Lord said to, to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. There's two parts to this that I want to point out. And we as believers, we must understand that God's grace not only saves us, but it is also that which instills within us the desire, ability, and strength to carry out God's will despite our inadequacies and weaknesses. You can see that in Moses' life, in Joshua's life. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Also, Hebrews 4.16 4, says that, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And the second part, the point that, that God is making to Paul in this, is he says, not only does my grace cover over your weaknesses, my strength comes to perfection in your weaknesses. And in Paul's weakness, he is continually reminded of his dependence upon God's power and strength. Notice in, in the second part of, of verse 9 how Paul's attitude changes. He says, Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Not only has Paul learned that it is better to boast in his weaknesses, he goes further to say that he... Excuse me. Paul's attitude towards his thorn changes from one of pleading for removal to one of praise and thanksgiving. Paul begins boasting in his weaknesses, realizing that they enable the power of Christ to rest upon him. And therefore, he goes even further in, in, in verse 10, as we read, Paul says, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And with this, Paul learned that it is better, to, he, he, not only did he learn that it was better to boast in weakness, he goes further to say that he takes pleasure in all those things that show him how weak he really is. 
He lists five. Infirmities, which can either be bodily or spiritual. Bodily meaning weakness, frailty, or poor health. Or spiritual, which would mean a, a lack of courage or strength to carry out the tasks that God has set before him. Reproaches, to be shamed, disgraced, discredited, or blamed. Needs, distressfully lacking what is needed. In persecutions, to be oppressed cruelly so as to injure or distress. In distresses, that which causes sorrow, pain, or suffering. And to be honest with you, these aren't the, the things that are at the top of my pleasure list. And I, I don't think that Paul here is saying that I'm a masochist, that I enjoy pain. The point is not the means by which the pain comes, but the, in, the, in the result of what the pain does. And, his, and Paul understood that reliance upon his own strength caused him to forsake God's strength in his weakness, working through his weakness. Therefore, he took pleasure in those things which made him weak, realizing that they ultimately made him more effective, which is exactly what he says in the last part of, of verse 10. When he, when he says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. To summarize what I believe Paul is teaching us in, in this passage, I would say that God sovereignly orchestrates weaknesses into our lives in order that we will depend upon Him rather than ourselves for physical and spiritual strength. And I think that's key. And just to, to maybe conclude... This morning, I've kind of gone through pretty fast cause, just because I know that I, I tend to get off the track and, and I don't have that much time. But to conclude this morning, I want to contrast the Judaizer's character to the character of Paul. In, verses, in, in chapter 10, 10 through 12, Paul says of these Judaizers, for his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters when we are absent, such we will also be indeed when we are present. Or when we are present. For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves amongst themselves are not wise. And that's exact. And Paul's referring to the Judaizers. And in this, in pride, they lift themselves up by putting down those around them that stand in opposition to their place of, of authority. And then in in Second Corinthians three one, Paul describes that these guys carried around letters of commendation in order to enable them to to participate in speaking events. And, and these things were based primarily on their abilities to speak rather than spiritual maturity and godliness. But then we have Paul. And if, we look, if you look further back in the text 12.11, look at what Paul says. This is the point. And if you can say this with Paul, and I don't know if I can say this even standing here today, but look at what Paul says. I have become a fool in boasting, but you have compelled me. For I ought to have been commended by you, for in nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing. Though I am nothing. 
Let me propose to you that it's in that statement that Paul was the man that he was. It's in that statement that, that Paul is giving his, his defense. He understood that all he was was what God had worked in and through his weaknesses. Purpose to why those things have happened to us in our past that we never understood. It's time that we stop being crippled by those things and, and begin to thank God for them as Paul did. Because it's in that that, Paul, that God uses us. And with that, with that, I just want to ask you a few questions in closing as to how you match up to what Paul is teaching in, this, in these passages. Do you lift yourself up by putting others down? Do you despise those who seem to be better than yourself? Do you try and hide your weaknesses to avoid vulnerability? Do you lie about your past accomplishments so that other people won't see you as you really are? Is your spirituality a list of past accomplishments done under your own power? Or are you so comfortable in your own little comfort zone that you are unwilling to step out in your weakness and depend upon God? My exhortation as in closing today is this. That it is time that we, as a body of believers, begin to step out in our weaknesses and our inadequacies and begin to reach out and depend upon God's strength, God's power, in order to carry out the insurmountable tasks that He's given us as a church. Let's pray. Father God, I, I thank You for the lesson that Paul has taught me in this passage. I pray that in the short time today, I pray that I was able to communicate the brunt of this, this message and, and to encourage those who, who have struggled with things in their past that they never really understood. And God, I just pray that You would work mightily through Your Word today, that it would not return void in anyone's life. And that, Father, we can glory in, those, in our weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon us. And we thank You for this in Jesus' name. Amen.